If you're a sports fan, this is the week, isn't it? I mean, you're learning so much and listening to so much. Matter of fact, I learned something about football I never knew this week. After all these years, I learned for the first time why women don't play football. It has nothing to do with strength or speed or anything like that. You can't get 11 women to wear the same thing out in public. That's the only reason, only reason they, don't, they don't play football. That's it. You know, it, it's really pretty incredible. You know, I'm the, I'm the age of the Super Bowl. So I've watched this thing evolve over these years. And you know, it used to just be a big game. But, but have you noticed what has happened? I don't know. I guess it's been the last 10, 15 years. The stature that this game in this day has risen to in, in American culture. I mean, it really is. I mean, you put all the national holidays out there and religious holidays out there. Super Bowl Sunday is like probably in the top five, six, seven days of the entire year. When you look at the, uh, the, the attention given to it, the money spent onto it, the build-up to it, we eat almost as many calories today as Thanksgiving. I mean, we take this for real. It's for serious how we do this. And the funny thing is, most of us will not be able to remember who won tonight's game before the next football season starts. Is that who was in the game? I think that day. Well, we won't even remember. Now, there's some games we'll remember. There's some games. I mean, we're all going to remember November 10th, 2012, when A&M went into Tuscaloosa and just smacked that team around. Hey, we'll remember that forever. We'll talk about that game in heaven. I can't wait. I can't wait. We'll sit down. We'll discuss that. You know, there actually is some games I've remembered for a long time. One of these games was, was January 3rd, 1993, 20 years ago now. It was a game between the Houston Oilers, which is a, a team I followed at the time, and, and the Buffalo Bills. It was an AFC wildcard game, and even now, 20 years later, I believe it is still considered the greatest comeback in NFL history. The Houston Oilers were winning halfway through the third quarter. Not, not just halftime, halfway into the third quarter, they're winning 35-3. to three. And with tremendous skill, they reached in to the jaws of defeat and grabbed it. <laughs> they grabbed a hold of it. Lost the game 41 to 38 in overtime. Now, the quarterback that day for the, the Buffalo Bills was a guy named Frank Reich. Frank tells the story that that morning, when he, when he woke up and, and got ready, he went out to his car to leave for the stadium. And I'm guessing in Buffalo, it's cold most of the time especially in January. So he, he's sitting in his car and he's waiting for the windows to defrost. And, and he's listening to this song, not a new song, song that he had heard before. But he said, man, as I was sitting there listening, there was just something about, about at that moment. That song just grabbed me. And, I, and he said he listened to it over. And I was about to say a CD, but in 1993, it's probably a cassette, wasn't it? Uh, kids, ask your parents what that is. They might have one in a scrapbook or something. But... Uh, He's listening this song over and over and over. He gets to the stadium. He goes inside, carries the song, listens to it on his, on his headphones there and, and just got this song over and over. Now, I tell that story because obviously after he led them to this big comeback, at the end of the game, he's, you know, he's the center of the, the press conference and the media attention. And they say, man, Frank, what were you thinking? What, what were you thinking when the team was getting slaughtered? What were you thinking as they started to come back? What were you thinking there at the end when they won? And he said, you know, the funny thing is, I was thinking the same thing through the entire game. Winning and losing, I was thinking the same thing. And he pulled out the lyrics to that song. And he read them right there in that press conference on TV. In Christ alone, I place my trust. 
I find my glory in the shadow of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me that the source of my strength and the source of my hope is Christ alone. You know, as an Oilers fan, that didn't make me feel one bit better. Didn't, didn't do a thing for me at all. Now, let me, let me ask you something. You know, he tells that story. Does that mean that God was for the Buffalo Bills that day? Yes. Yes, it absolutely does. I'm certain of it. But, but you know what? If you say that God was for the Bills, does that mean that God was against the Oilers? No, God was for both sides of the field. You say, well, what does that mean? How does that work out? Well, think about it from God's perspective. Think about it from the, maybe the perspective of a parent. Boy, don't we have an interesting storyline with, with this year's Super Bowl when the head coaches of each team are brothers? Who, who do you think Mr. and Mrs. Harbaugh are rooting for tonight? I loved his, the mom's answer. Ms. Harbaugh, who are you going to be rooting for tonight? She says, the offense. Whoever's on offense, that's who I'm rooting for. But obviously, mom and dad, they want both of their sons to be champions, don't they? I mean, they want both of their sons to be able to, to pull out that victory. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Harbaugh don't have an ability to affect whether it's Jim or John that is going to be a champion tonight. But you know what? God does. God does. And God is able to make a champion, folks, certainly in the victories, but God can make a champion out of us in our defeat. Sometimes I... Ah, Lord, I choose for the first one. Folks, being a champion is a champion, and God can work in your life in defeats. God is for both sides of the field. What my Bible tells me is that God loves both sides of the field. He has a purpose for the individuals on both sides of the field, and He will fulfill that purpose. He will work that purpose on both sides of the field. Folks, the question tonight is not what side is God on or what is God doing? The question is, whose side are we on? Are we on God's side? Are we giving our lives over to God's game plan for our lives? Are we doing that? I want to talk today about the commitments of a champion. Four commitments. You will find these commitments not only on the field tonight in the Super Bowl, but you'll find it in the Stanley Cup, the NBA Finals, the World Series. I think you can find it in business, and you're certainly going to find it with anybody who's walking as a champion for God. These are universal principles. Let's look at them. First commitment of a champion. The first commitment is to what happens alone. Now, maybe an easier way to say that is what's going on in the heart. But the first commitment of a champion is what happens when we're alone. You see here this passage, Ephesians 6, 6. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Do God's will in here where nobody can see and where nobody knows what's going on. You know, folks, our tendency is to do the opposite. As a matter of fact, on all four of these commitments, our tendency is to do the opposite. That's what makes champions champions. They don't just go with the flow. They don't just go with the natural tendency. They rise up above that. But our tendency is to work hard because somebody's watching. Not so much when somebody's not watching. When we're in public, we have certain ideals and certain values. Sometimes in private, we don't always hold to those ideals and values. You know, I think religion actually fosters this. 
I think religion actually kind of spurs this in us. We kind of, you know, we're told, you know, got to conform to this outward set of rules, conform to these outward rituals. And we're kind of led to believe that, you know, if I keep, you know, these three, four, five rules and I go through these rituals all on the outside, then I can feel pretty good about myself. I'm a good person. I don't do this and this and I do that and I did that ritual and I'm a good person and never look inside. Never look at what's really going on in my heart. Jesus delivers a scathing message to the Pharisees on this very issue in Matthew 15 and actually in a number of places throughout the Gospels. And he tells the Pharisees, he says, man, your God's not the Lord God. Your God is your traditions. Your God is your little set of rules and your little set of rituals that you keep completely on the outside with no thought to what's going on inside you. And I'll tell you what's going on inside you. You're dead and you're filled with sin. Folks, God cares about what's going on on the inside, not as much the outside. Am I saying he doesn't care about what's going on outside? No, if the inside's right, you don't have to worry about the outside. But the problem is, folks, you and I will find comfort in everything being okay on the outside, tell ourselves we're okay on the outside and not look inside. And that's where God is working, is in the heart. In the heart. Now, when we talk about what's happening alone, when we talk about what's happening in the heart, we can kind of go two directions. One, we can kind of think about integrity, and, and the other direction is devotion, what we're building in that relationship. Now, integrity is just simply, I'm, I'm the same thing alone as I am in public. I, what I am in public, that's what I am alone. The values and the principles that I have in public, I live out those values and principles when I'm alone. The works and passions that I have in public, that's the works and the passions I have when I'm alone. And that integrity leads us to be able to build that devotion, that relationship. Boy, folks, you talk about King David. He was a champion among men. He was a champion among men when he was a boy. Where was David built? David was built out in the fields. You read the Psalms and it's all that alone time out there alone in the fields. Yes, with sheep, but with God. How about Jesus? Maybe the busiest person that's ever walked on this planet, certainly during those three years of his ministry. Nobody's ever, not even the President of the United States, has had the demand on his time that Jesus had. And yet what the Gospels show us over and over and over is this discipline to get away and to get alone. And it talks about a solitary place, a secluded place. Where could he pull away and be alone with his Father and pray? Folks, the Christian life absolutely is lived in public, but it's built in private. Can you see how weak the Christian life is going to be if all I'm doing is trying to live it in public, but nowhere in my building strengthening and encouraging it in private? So that means, man, I've got to take time to get away and be alone and read God's Word. By the way, we just posted on our, our website some Bible reading plans, a couple of different ways to approach reading through the Scriptures in a year. But I want to I wanna get away and be alone to read God's Word. Be alone and, and pray. Be alone and sing and worship. Boy, I hope you don't think the only time to sing and worship is, is in here on Sunday mornings. Why do you think God gave us showers? Man, we should be singing and worshiping all week long. Hey, we obey. When people are watching, oh yeah. Well, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? Letting our light shine so that people see God. But we obey when nobody's watching, nobody's going to applaud, nobody's going to talk about what a good person we We obey when nobody is watching. Vince Lombardi, 
for whom the, the, the Super Bowl trophy is, is named after. Winner of two Super Bowls with the Packers. Labardi said the difference between the successful and others is not strength and it's not knowledge, it's will. It's what happens in the heart. Folks, the journey of a champion begins inside. You listen to the stories today. Matter of fact, all four of the commitments I'm going to talk about this morning, all four of them were mentioned in that clip. You, if you've been listening, you, you listen today, you've been listening week, sports radio, ESPN, sports center, you hear all four of these. I've been listening to them this week. Listen today. You hear a story, they tell a story about a, a player, a, a champion, you're going to hear something about what they built alone. Let me ask you, what are you building alone? Not what are you doing when nobody's watching? What is happening in your life? What are the disciplines in your life? What are you building alone and inside you? And the heart of a champion begins alone. Second commitment of a champion is to endure. A champion endures. Look at this passage, Hebrews 12 too. Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance. That's the command. The command on your life, the command on my life is to run with endurance the race that lies before us. Folks, when you're looking at a champion, you're looking at somebody that has endured. You don't know if you ever listened to people whining, complaining about losing. Have you ever noticed? Losers always think the winner got a break. You know, it had nothing to do with a commitment, had nothing to do with work. They got away with something. They had some kind of unfair advantage. You know, they always play about, uh, complain about some kind of outside circumstances. Let me tell you something. If you're looking at somebody who's won, way more often than not, they've overcome unfairnesses. They've overcome bad coaches. They've overcome bad seasons. They've, they've overcome injuries. They know what it is to bleed. They know what it is to sweat. In some cases, they know what it is to cry. And champions endure. Now, what does that have to do with what we're doing? Folks, the same is true in the Christian life. You just saw it in that command. You and I have been commanded to endure. Jesus said, hey, listen, if you try to follow me in this world, <laughs> you know what? Not everybody's going to like that. Not everybody's going to appreciate you for that. As a matter of fact, in some places, in some times, they'll kill you for that. Did you know Jesus said, if you follow me, some of you will die for that? And he didn't seem to be terribly bothered by it. And you know what he said? Well, all they can do is harm the body. That's no big deal. I kind of like my body, Lord. Yeah, no big deal. Hey, sometimes that's the cost. You, you remember, folks, Jesus actually said, don't follow me. Don't follow me without counting the cost. Now, folks, here we've got this challenge to endure. We're told there's going to be a cost. So why is it when we go into churches, I mean, I think this is from east to west, all across America, I think you can find that the, the pervasive attitude among God's people is, man, I want to be good at Christianity. I want to be a good Christian, a successful Christian. Now, how can I do that so that it costs me no time, no effort, and I don't have to change anything? I don't know how many times you'll actually verbally hear those exact words, but and wouldn't you agree that's kind of how we approach this? I don't want to change anything, but I sure do want to enjoy a successful, abundant Christian life. Where does that work? The answer is nowhere. 
Doesn't work on the ball field, doesn't work in business, and it certainly doesn't work in the Christian life. So what's that mean? It means we're going to witness when they're throwing rocks. It means we're going to love when they don't look back. We're going to forgive the unforgivable. We're going to serve when nobody's there to applaud and there's no plaque that is going to be given out. Folks, the very word endure. I mean, you're not enduring until you're bleeding. You're not enduring until you're sweating. I mean, the very concept of enduring is when everything around you, everything inside you says, quit. And you pick up and go again. That's your first step into endurance. And that's the command on your life and my life. We are to endure. Now, obviously, that's hard. That's a challenge. That's difficult. And so the writer of Hebrews says, now listen, that's the challenge. Endure. Now, with that challenge, with that command out in front of you, hey, listen, lay aside the sin. That's a fancy way of saying don't shoot yourself in the foot. I like the way Chuck Knoll said it. Long time coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, the worst team in the NFL, the team I dislike the most. I'm sorry. Remember, I was a Houston Oilers fan for a while. But when he was leading to those Super Bowls, he was quoted as saying this, the first thing you have to do in winning is not lose. Yeah, some of y'all need to write that down. First thing I've got to do. There's profound logic there. It's not shooting yourself in the foot. You ever been watching a game and you may have even been ahead? You, 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 it might, might have been 10 to 7. You're winning the game. But there's another fumble. There's the third interception. There's another yellow flag. And you start thinking, you say, man, there's no way we're going to win with this many penalties. There's no way we can win with this many uh, turnovers mounting up. Folks, you and I need to look at sin like penalties and turnovers. A lot of things can be going right. Might even have a, a favor in the points on the board at the moment. But folks, if the penalties keep coming and the turnovers keep happening, you're not going to win. It just, it's just not going to add up to a win. And, and so the writer there says, hey, do this. Lay it aside. And I'm thinking... No joke, really? Just lay it aside? Well, I never thought of that. I mean, folks, you know what? I don't want to sin. Do you? I would think most of us in here today, maybe not all of us, I would think most of us, in, we, don't, we don't want to sin. We don't, we don't like ourselves when we sin. We, we don't want to keep doing it. How do I not sin? And so the writer says, don't sin. I'm thinking, great. Could you like give me five points on how not to sin? You know, folks, if I was, if I was running... And I was in a race and I'm carrying a 25 pound weight on my back and I'm getting the place where I have to endure and I'm sweating and I'm hurting. I'm thinking, man, this weight is killing me. And, and, and the judge of that race says, why are you carrying that? You don't have to carry that weight. Really? You mean I can just take this weight off and lay it aside? Yeah. Who's not going to do that? And you don't have to give me five ways to do it and five motivations to do it. I'm trying to win. I want to endure. You don't need, a, you don't need five steps. Well, folks, the writer of Hebrews seems to be thinking that you and I would understand sin the same way we would understand that weight. Man, there's no reason to carry this sin, but we do. And here's why. One simple reason. Because for us, the sin is the win. I mean, why are we tempted? Why are we lured to sin? Because we think that in this moment, in this situation, with this person, the best way for me to advance what I want is to lie, it's to steal, it's to cheat, it's to whatever. If I sin, I will win. And we're, all we're doing is throwing interceptions and getting penalties. And we've got to start looking at our sin. Whatever the sin is, it doesn't matter which one it is. 
I mean, there, there's five-yard penalties and there's 15-yard penalties. It's irrelevant why the flag came out. It will lead you to lose. I bet our motivation would be a lot stronger and I bet it wouldn't need five points if we started looking at sin as, hey, it might seemingly advance me in this moment, but ultimately it's leading me down the path to losing. We're called to endure. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot by adding sin to the weight of what we're carrying. A commitment, a champion has a commitment to endure. Third commitment of a champion is to the team. Look at these number of passages that come out of Ephesians 4. Walk worthy of the calling you have received. Diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. Promoting the growth of the body. That's the command on your life and my life. To promote the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. When you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a part of a team. And folks, any champion has a love for his team. Yeah, we talked a moment ago about a commitment to what happens alone. That doesn't mean we're all about me, myself, and I. We have a commitment to the team. I tell you, we've seen some you always see some interesting things in, in team dynamics. This year, I think one of the more interesting team dynamics, one of the most dysfunctional teams in the NFL is the New York Jets. Aren't they a circus? I mean, there's some. Now, folks, you know what? In the NFL, we talk about good teams, the great teams, and dynasties. Oh, my, we talk about bad. Oh, my team stinks. Oh, my. You know, that's not really true. I mean, yeah, there might appear to be some really bad teams every now and then. Cindy, like the Kansas City Chiefs, I see you back there. I mean, the Chiefs were horrible this year, weren't they? Yeah, you know what? So we, we talk about teams that are really bad and really... You know what? I don't believe that. Folks, when you look at the NFL, you're looking at the best of the best of the best. Every team out there can win a Super Bowl. There's just fractions that separate them. I actually believe there's very small fractions that separate a, a 5 and 11 team and a 12 and 4 team. And team unity can be one of those fractions. You, you, you well, no, man, the Jets, they, they had a lot of holes. They, you know, they need one of these and they need this person and they, they, no, folks, champions have holes. For example, the New England Patriots. I mean, last two years in a row, they've been one of the last four teams standing. Two years in a row, they've been to the AFC Championship. Last year to the Super Bowl. The Patriots have a horrible defense. They've got holes all through their defense. But they continue to play at championship level. I'm not saying it's for one thing. There's a variety of things. But one of those is their team unity. You know, you put 50 guys in a locker room. You think they all have the exact same goals in life? You think they all have the exact same personality? No, man, there's, there's personality conflicts there. There's agendas that crash into each other. And, you know, they have differences of opinion. But you never hear that being played out in the pre press with the Patriots. With the Jets, just the opposite. Man, they talk bad about each other. They talk bad to each other. They don't, they don't support each other. You have that horrible team unity. Folks, Christianity is a team sport. Christianity is a team sport. You want to be a champion, we've got to support the team. And there is, again, the natural tendency, and I think because America kind of promotes this one big, huge goal of individualism, we, we pick that up. Man, we tend to walk into church and it's all about me. What did I get from the sermon? Did I like this song? 
Did I like the way the people treated me in life group? And we're walking to the car and everything we're thinking about and evaluating as we walk out to the car that way or that way or wherever. What did the day do for me? And yet I read Ephesians 4.16 and it says that as I'm walking to the car, what I should be thinking is, how did I help the team today? How did I advance the team today? And by the way, I'm explaining this with really horrible theology because I'm describing church as it's an event that happens on Sunday morning. Okay, church is something that happens 24-7, 365, right? Okay, this is just kind of when we gather and just kind of get pumped up and ready to head back out of the locker room. But when we head out of this locker room, folks, what should be on our mind is not just what did I get out of it today, but what did I put into it? How did I aid the team? How did I support the team? How did I encourage and help the team? And God says, every one of us, every one of us, is to be thinking that way. A champion has a commitment to the team. Last commitment that a champion has is to the coach's game plan. Very familiar verse one, I think we all know, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, if you're trusting the Lord with all of your heart, what amount of your heart is left to trust in you? It's simple math. Zero, thank you very much. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean, don't rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right path. Folks, champions trust the coach. Champions submit themselves to the coach. That's a really interesting dynamic in all professional sports. But, but, but certainly in football, that's, that's an interesting dynamic because you think about it, nobody bought a ticket to go to the Super Bowl tonight to see the Harbaugh brothers. As an interesting story as that is, nobody's turning on the TV tonight to see. Now, when they coach, do they, are they, are they one of these that bends over the whole time? Do they stand there with their arms crossed? Are they a pacer? Are they an ear set thrower? Nobody's watching the game tonight to see what the Harbaugh's do. It's about the players. The players have the fame and the players have the money. And yet with all that fame and fortune for them to be champions, they have to submit. They have to follow the coach. That's a challenging thing. When you stop and think about it, that coach may actually be unfair. It happens, doesn't it? That coach may not actually be for the best interest of each and every one of his players. That coach may not have a perfect game plan. They've been working on a game plan for two weeks. One of their game plans is going to fail. It didn't work. And yet to be champions, they have to, it's just the way it works. You have to submit to the game plan. Just think about it, folks. You and I, we don't have any of that. Our coach, he is absolutely for us. And for our victory and for our well-being. Our coach is never unfair. Our coach has all knowledge and he has all power. Folks, you can do nothing better for your life than to absolutely not follow your heart. I mean, is that like the biggest piece of wisdom we have in our culture? Follow your heart. Folks, your heart will lead you straight to hell. Did you know that the Bible says your heart is deceptive, that it will lie to you? Do not follow your heart. Do not follow your way of thinking and looking at things, but actually go to God's word, go to God in prayer, and it says every step, every step, every decision, every relationship, everything I'm doing today, man, what does God's playbook say about how to run this play? What does God's playbook say about how to handle this game? What is God's playbook? What is God telling me in prayer what I'm supposed to do right here? We submit to the coach. Folks, these four commitments lead to championships every single time. As a matter of fact, 
these aren't really commitments. They're almost like laws. Kind of like the law of gravity. It's just there. <laughs> you got to live by it. These are the laws of a champion. Think about these four words we've heard today. Alone. Endure. Team. Coach. Submit. What are those four words meaning in your life? How are those laws of the champion guiding you? You know, I'll say it again. Losers always have a reason for why. Well, that doesn't apply to me or that won't work for me or I don't need to do that. Champions, they just do it. Let's pray.